kind of scrutiny. You're listening to the City World Radio Network. High-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Welcome to Morph Mom Moments. What an exciting night. You are all going to be very happy you're tuning in tonight because we've got a great theme, great co-host, and an amazing guest. Um, I want to introduce my guest tonight, Guy Adami, star of Fast Money on CNBC, but more importantly tonight, at least for the the structure of the show, a father of a son going off to college. Um, Tonight, our theme is going to be He Said, She Said, and sort of how a father, as opposed to a mother deal with and sort of handle raising sons and the different things that come up. And I'm very excited to introduce my co-host tonight. Uh, three of the five Lens family are here, Scott Lens, Elizabeth Lens, and Joe Lens. Uh, a fellow partner for the She Said side with Elizabeth, Scott will be Guy's, oh, we already have a caller, Scott will be Guy's helper as well as Joe. Um, hold on one second. Good evening and welcome to Morph Mom Moments. Can you hear me? Hello? Oh, I think we, I don't think we have you. If you can call back, that would be great. But keep listening. Um, so I got to get this in quickly because I think people are going to want to call. Oh, no. Um, so briefly before we get into it, for those of you joining us, and I know you want to get right into the subject matter and not hear about Morph Mom, but let me give you a quick one so you know what you're stepping into. My name is Kathleen Smith. I started this about four years ago. It. Um, I was a prosecutor, had three kids, who you're going to hear about tonight. After 14 years of being home, I, no idea what to do, no confidence, no anything. Just literally kind of sitting there saying, what's next? And rather than figure it out myself, because I couldn't go back into law, I decided to find women who had done whatever it was they were doing at the time, the steps they took to get there, what worked, what didn't work, and those willing to share their stories to pay it forward. So rather than reinvent the wheel, I could share with others going through similar things that I was going through, stories of success as well as failure just to get you an idea of how to do it 
what worked, what didn't work. So the first year was the website, and that's morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. If you want to go see the stories, we have stories from all over the country, a thousand stories, just amazing stories um, sort of explaining ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And by extraordinary, it's just getting up every day and going out and finding something or helping others to do what it is they're doing. I write for Huffington Post. You can hear about the stories, read about the stories there. We have this weekly radio show, which is so much fun. We now have classes and events, and we're hosting, very excited to announce, on June 26th, the first ever Morph Mom conference. Really excited. A day and tonight um, filled with speakers. Every hour on the hour, we're going to have different speakers, different panels, all discussing you name it, we're going to have it. Any subject you want, it's going to be there. But more about that later, because right now we want to talk to Guy Adami and my co-host, Alenzis. Uh, so once again, without further ado, Guy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Amazing to be here. I mean, that's fantastic intro for everything. Thanks for having me. A little long-winded. I'm sorry. I was trying to get through it faster, but I get a little carried away. You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Um, and again, my host, which I began to explain. So Scott and Guy, this is sort of the setup tonight, and Joe Lenz, a son, um, will sort of handle the he said part, and Elizabeth Lenz and I, the she said. And all of us in the room have sons. The Lenzes have three boys. Guy and I have two boys and a girl. And most importantly, we all have a son going off to college. Oh, so scary. Um, so we were sitting around one day talking about this, and it's funny, you'll say, you know, Something happened, and this is how, how I dealt with it. And then somebody else at the table, maybe the father will say, well, that's, I would have done this. And you start to think about, well, that's funny. Why did you handle it this way as opposed to what I did? And we were thinking, is it a gender thing? Is it because I'm the mom and you're the dad or whatever, you know, in the, in the relationship, as opposed to the way I was raised? I was one of four girls. And is this why I react this way? Or is it because I'm sort of the mom in this group? So I'm curious, Guy, what do you think about that? It's interesting. You would think it'd be gender specific, but I'm not so certain that's the case. I think birth order has a lot to do with it. And I think the way you were raised has a lot to do with it as well. A lot of times, in my house at least, you get a little bit of role reversal going on. So things that you would typically think would be a mom said, it winds up being a, the dad said. So it's interesting in my house at least, sometimes things get switched up a little bit. It's funny, we were talking again earlier about, for example, chores. I almost missed the show tonight. I was explaining to these guys, and I probably will share this picture of me because I have no shame in a hazmat suit, cleaning out the most disgusting thing you've ever seen in your entire life to get it ready for my boys. Now, everybody else said, well, why weren't they cleaning it out? But I thought, oh, but they're in exams and they're so tired. And no, let me be exposed to whatever's in here right now. And I want them exposed to it. And my husband said, why aren't, no, get out of there. They should be doing it. So we brought that up at the table tonight. Um, how, what would have happened to your house? Let's say it's that interesting. So that becomes, the, the example you just talked about is, typically gender specific you know the mom's going to do for her sons and for her children uh in my case i would probably do exactly what you did and it would be my wife that said get in a garage and clean it up or you're not doing x y and z and i tend to be a little more um i guess the word's lenient i think the true word is soft when it comes to my kids because i feel as if i think you feel the same way they're so extraordinarily busy in their lives and you try to sort of – you try to give them a break on certain things. And I, and I know intuitively I'm not doing them any favors. I'm probably doing them a disservice, but I can't help myself. And I, it's really my problem. It's something I need to get over. And when you were saying, you know, is it a gender thing? So I grew up in Jersey City. There were four girls. My dad wanted a boy. So we were basically all the boys in the house. There was never an issue that we were not the ones doing all the chores. My mother was never expected to do anything. And the four of us were – it was just – 
there was no question. Of course you would go out and do that. And I just think it's so funny that now my first reaction is, well, I'm going to do it so they don't have to do it. So what about you? So now Elizabeth, as we mentioned before, my co-host and I have three sons. What's your reaction to something like that? Right. And I grew up in a family of seven. So three, you know, four girls and three boys. So, but to go back to what we were talking about with the chores, I think that maybe traditional chores that we think of, you know, loading the dishwasher, you know, no, I don't necessarily expect my boys to load the dishwasher, but, you know, when they were younger, I would expect my oldest to babysit. I expect them to pick their brothers up. I expect them if there's a heavy chore, if there's, you know, they, they mow the lawn, they do the leaves. So I think, I think we can lose sight of how much we actually depend on our kids in terms of, can you fix my computer? You know, how do I get on this website? So, so even though perhaps we're not in the traditional, you know, you take out the garbage, I think, I think we do ask them for, for, you know, to contribute to the family in lots of different ways that maybe we're not aware of all the time. So Joe is the oldest of three boys, Elizabeth's son. What's your reaction to this? As far as like, like, so let's say you come home and your mom is doing something or your father's doing something. Do you automatically say, no, no, let me do that. It's, you know, let me take over for that or was it something that you were sort of expected to do so you do that like how, how do you react to a situation like that i think a lot of the time you expect it to be the case um well i guess it's interesting because you're talking about you know not only uh what it's like in terms of different parenting styles but also across generations like mr adami was saying we're looking at not only you know the the difference between parents and their kids and what they're expecting versus you know what they're they're told to do um but you also get the atmosphere of like okay well my mom might not know how to fix a computer. I'm probably expected to do that. You know, the next my my kids will have something that I don't know how to work with, and they'll have to do that. Um, so, in terms of you know whether it's like a, a generational thing or something that I have experience with, and of course, like you're absolutely expected to do that because, you know, frankly, like my parents put me in the position to learn about it. You know, and so in, in that case, you're talking a lot about okay, well, this is kind of giving back to what you've given me, and and I'm showing you basically what you've given me in my life and, and what you've shown. So if that, yeah, it's kind of a reciprocal thing in that way. Sweet Joe Lentz. If he calls me <laughs> Mr. Tommy again, I'm going to beat him over the head. Sorry, Scott. That's okay. I just have one observation. I mean, Guy, you alluded to the birth order thing, and I do think there's a very unconscious element that plays into that. I'll be the first to admit my oldest is sitting here. I think, frankly, and I'm the oldest of three boys, so I'm living my life over again in some respects. Um, that you expect more of your oldest child. You, you know, they're the oldest, they're, they're breaking new frontiers all the time and whatever it is, and because they mature first and they're the oldest to a point, they get to a point where you can expect something of them first, you start to do that, and it becomes almost an unconsciousness about asking him first, if you will, when he's around, um, and not asking, for example, the youngest. I, I would say, reflecting on this, I ask a lot more of my oldest son than I do of my youngest yeah, son. Yeah, I think that's respect. fair. And, you know, my biggest problem is I've, I'm never one to ask. You know, my thing is if you see me walking with a, uh, a cart full of laundry up the stairs, it's pretty obvious that I'm doing the laundry. So if you were to sit there with your mouth agape and not help, <laughs> I shouldn't have to ask for that help. Right to bring it up to the that's just the way I'm sort of wired. Maybe I should start asking a little bit more, or maybe I should just leave it on the floor. But you get to a point where it becomes the battle of the wills, and typically speaking, when it's the battle of the wills, they beat me down every single time. It's funny that you said that. So they should expect to help, and I'm so guilty of this. But sometimes I almost 
set the trap, I guess, in a certain way. Like, I will see them walking down the stairs. I will intentionally put something right at the bottom of the stairs. And with the Olympian acrobatic style that they have, they can somehow somersault fly matrix over that and keep walking. And you just think, really? Like, yeah, you really (laughs) do not think to pick that up and keep going? And again, I guess it's not fair because then I'll say, I can't believe you didn't pick that up. And they'll say, well, you didn't ask. Well, okay, I didn't ask, but I just sort of assumed if you saw it there. So I, maybe it's not exactly fair of me, but I'm totally guilty no, of that. No, but and Elizabeth said it. The contributions to the household manifest themselves in ways, though, that we don't think about or are important. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, my daughter spent the weekend babysitting for the woman that used to babysit her, who now has three young children. And, you know, she did a great job, and, and Allison, the babysitter, was so happy she came down. But on the way back home, they were in Atlantic City for something, and Lily said to me, you know, we were at a hotel – there were a bunch of kids, something, you know, some sort of rave took place, and a lot of kids were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And I want to thank you and mom for raising us in a household and, and being tough enough on us that we know not to do that. To me, I'd rather hear that than have her pick up her, you know, laundry on a, on a Saturday mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like, how do you know? Like, it's, it's so great that she told you that, but you hope that's happening all the time, and you hope that they're. So upfront to be able to tell you that as well, that it went on. All right. So we've been talking about chores. Again, we're in this he said, she said. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Morph Mom Moments. Thrilling to sit here with the star of Fast News from no, CNBC. No, 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 no. Yes, it is. <laughs> Fast Money from CNBC, Guy Adami. Yes, no, it the is. The star part is, no, please. Oh, I mean, I'm please. one of five. I'm part of an ensemble. <laughs> and giving it star. You're City World Radio tonight. You are. In Morph Mom Moments, you're the star. And with my co-host, The Lenses. Again, three-fifths of the lenses. Um, And we're talking about sort of he said, she said, raising kids. And specifically, this came up because all of us in the room have a child going off to college, specifically a boy. And we were talking about what it's like to raise boys. And another thing that obviously always comes up is sports. And it's so different than it used to be. And again, I came from four girls, so I am just at a loss for this entire thing. And I always played sports my whole life. I was terrible. I just like to talk to the people. I lose everything, but I met friends. So I never really had that competitive edge, whereas my husband was very much more competitive athletically. I mean, I participated in everything, but I'd rather make friends. I didn't really care about the score. Okay, Kathleen, you're a great athlete. Everyone needs to know that Kathleen is a great tennis player, a great athlete. So don't sell yourself short. But okay, go on. I'm going with better talker. (laughs) I really do talk a lot, but I shouldn't be. But so so when I see my kids out there smiling and talking to someone even on the bench, I'm really happy. Maybe that's not exactly how they feel or my husband feels. But my reaction to that was always like, no, you're part of a team. It's great. And I don't know if I always gave the best advice you know, coming off the field to boys. So how do you guys feel about that sports related and, and how you, I don't know, how you handle that or juggle that? Yeah, that, that's that's a, a great question, Kathleen. And I think as a parent with, with three boys and having coached, you know, youth sports on, on a number of fronts through through all of their lifetimes, um, I can say that that is one thing that hopefully I got better at over time. It's another thing where, again, the, the, the oldest bears the brunt of your your rookiness and your inexperience and, and your demands. I mean, I, I would say I'm, I tend to be more competitive, too. Joe and I both played baseball for long periods of time, and we both loved the game. Um, we both had an intensity about it. My intensity was different than Joe's was, especially when he was 10 or 11 years old. He was a much he he let he he enjoyed playing the game, and I had this attitude like, 
it's more than that. And it would create friction at times. And it was something I grew from. You know, I think ultimately I mellowed in, in how I dealt with my younger boys as, as we got involved in other things and other dimensions. And they're each differently competitive in certain respects. And you sort of have to gear yourself around their particular personality. Because it's always hard to be the son of a coach in any setting. And, and, and I, you know, sometimes more awkward than others. But invariably, I like to think I got better at it. I mellowed. I, I came to recognize the reality and the fact that sports, especially at, the, at a young age, really should be about enjoyment and participation and developing your own self, self-confidence and self-esteem. But it took me time to learn that. And uh, Joe's sitting here, bore the brunt of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I grew up, so it's interesting you say that because you know, I grew up a bit of a blockhead, football player, the whole thing, basketball player. I, I was geared that way. You know, competition was important to me. But I also would watch at these games at a young age – you know, I was always sort of focused on the parents that were screaming at their kids, screaming at the officials. And I remember even being in high school and saying, you know, if I ever have kids, I'm not going to be that person. So you dance that fine line, you know, how much do you push your kids, but how much do you allow them to make their decisions on their own? And, and where, is, where do you cross that line? And I struggle with it today. My hope is that one day my son Timmy, my daughter Lily, my son Guy will come to me and say, you know what, thank you for allowing us to make our own decisions. My fear is my son Timmy, my son Guy, they, I wish you pushed me harder. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really you know, fear. And I don't, obviously we'll see how it all plays out. And you know, I've sort of erred on the side of allowing them to make their own decisions. But it's not easy sometimes to sit back and watch because with the benefit of hindsight, you know, you know a lot of the things that they're dealing with. It's a struggle – and one that I still just go over in my mind constantly. And it goes beyond sports, too. Beyond that's, a me- sports. that's really a metaphor for all the decisions that they're making in their lives. Right. True. So when we're talking, with the, like, the he said, she said part of it, and you said maybe you're less, you know, not pushing them maybe as hard. Now, as opposed to your wife, do you feel like sometimes one of you pushes them harder yeah. towards a certain thing? And I think that's fair. You, I, you all know my wife here. Obviously, the audience probably doesn't. But Linda, my wife is more inclined to push and we have conversations about this like you gotta you gotta push them you can't allow them to sort of fall back or acquiesce or whatever the word you want to use or be scared and i'm like lynn i hear you and, and again i struggle with it i don't know if i did them a service you know my all my sons both of my sons played sports they're at a school now though that you have to really be passionate about the sport in order to play it and I don't think, and I still don't think, they felt that strongly about it. They have other interests, and I think that's great. Yeah. So, again, I, with the sports thing, so my sons, all our kids are at the same school. And, again, it is a very sport-minded school. And my kids love sports, and I hope they're not listening right now. Yeah. We're never really going to college on sports, but they loved it, and they wanted to be involved. And I think they just loved being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was enough. Like, as I said before, like, I, that to me was just, that was triumphant for me. That was being a great parent because they got it. The sportsmanship, who care if you, you won, you lost, you played, it didn't matter. But, you know, my husband say, again, you're, you know, one of four girls, and it does matter. He's going to feel terribly that he didn't get into that game today. Whereas my reaction was, oh, yeah, but you're not getting hurt. You're on the bench. It's great. You met a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Not what he needed to hear, <laughs> apparently. So I think I mishandled that 
terribly along the way, but that was my gut instinct was how do I make him feel better? All right. So, but, and I, I did that, that I was so guilty of, but I didn't know. So again, that he said, she said part was, my husband was like, really? Like that? No, be honest. So yeah, it sucks. You didn't get in. That really sucks. You try really hard at sports, try harder at the next practice. And, you know, maybe it'll make a difference. Whereas I thought that was saying, you're not trying hard enough. No, no, no. Don't make him feel worse that he didn't get in. So I don't know. How do you guys all feel about that? Did you feel differently with your boys and with your daughter? No. No. Actually, the same. None of my kids ever really played them. (laughs) Sorry, guys, if you're out there. So so that's when I sort of differ a little bit. If you are going to be part of an athletic – if you're going to be part of anything, you know, the goal is to – be successful at it and to you not know, be the star of the team, but you obviously want to be a participant that's contributing to the team. So my thing's always been, look, if you don't want to play hockey at Del Barton, if you don't want to play baseball, that's fine. But whatever you decide to do, you better go full, you know, to just be a spe- – life is not a spectator sport in any way, shape, or form. Right. It's a great observation. I, per- I would echo that completely. I think – I, my attitude about it is they've gotten older. Is you you, you got to step back and let them find their own way. But when you see those gaps or you perceive there to be something less than all the intensity you believe is necessary, given the commitment they're being asked to make to a team, uh, you, you have to call them on that. But I rarely had occasion to do that. Frankly, I was blessed by that. I the boys loved it, and honestly, I think whether it's whether it's sports or some other group activity, the, the essence of a team and the dynamic of a team and being a member of it and understanding the importance of sacrifice for others and being accountable is so valuable in life generally. And I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, it, 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 it's such a life, life-giving life experience. Um, and I think hopefully all my guys reflect on it that way and f- hopefully it's, they, they took away skills that are going to allow them to be better people down the road. Joe, how do you feel about that? So with – about one in particular, which like <laughs> well, but we're saying sort of the reaction. So let's say there was a game, and you sat out. You weren't playing as much as you would have liked to, mm-hmm. and you come off the field. And I'm guilty. I'm the one who says, "No, it's okay. You didn't get hurt. That's great. You're still part of it." And then, you know, my husband would be like, "What? Seriously? Like, try harder at the next practice." Like, not, you know, Kathleen, stop saying that. That's not helping. Just so I don't know. How, what's your reaction to that? What do you need to hear when you come off that field? Okay, first off, I don't know if there's any one thing that's right or wrong for everybody. Or maybe Uh, me not saying anything. (laughs) Silence in the car, but God forbid. I think, honestly, you're you're never making a mistake, right? So, um, in my perception anyway, obviously, I have two parents, thankfully, and they both have different personalities. So, when I'm thinking about, you know, my mom said this in this way. It's because she's my mom, and I know who she is. Same thing with my dad. If she's if he says something a particular way, like I know that's the way he's going to react, or I know that's how he's processing. So, in terms of you know being a student or an athlete or whatever realm you're in, if you're getting that feedback from a parent, it's not so much you know that's the right way to talk to me or that's the wrong way. It's like okay, you're dealing me something that I either like or don't like right now, but you're my parent, so I'm mm-hmm. understanding that. Um, and you know. To kind of go off about both what Guy and my dad were saying is, you know, you're thinking about, you know, my experience as an athlete in school and before then, my dad was coaching me frequently. Um, there, there's no better way to learn parenting, both the things that you like and you don't like, than 
experiencing your parent be either coaching you in a sport or being around a sport. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to say right now, I'll never do that. Yeah. Just wait, Joe, in 20... I see, I'm like, oh, my God, my mother. I, I swore I'd never do that. So you, so you turned into your mom is what you're saying. On occasion, yes. And I love my mother dearly, and she raised... Like, she was a great mom, but there were things I was like, there's no way. There's no way. I think verbatim, I'm actually even standing the way she stood when she said those things. <laughs> it's like, how did that happen? It's interesting, and you mentioned the part about playing, and this is one thing I've not, not so much with my kids, thankfully, but you do see it a lot. I think kids aren't playing, and it's somebody's fault. It's mm-hmm. they like this kid better. The coach doesn't like me, and my thing all along had been: if you're not playing, get better. It's just that to me, it's mm-hmm. just that simple. If you want to play, get better, and whatever that requires you to do. But it's in life, I think what. It's never anybody else's fault. If you want yep. to do something, it's on you. 100%. But, and, and even if maybe you're not going to play and it's not the sport, even it's making a hard decision, right? Like, I'm either going to stick with this team. I know I'm not going to play. I'm going to try my hardest. I'll be on the bench, but I'm still part of the team. Or I'm going to make the decision that I'm going to switch to something where I may be out there more. But at least I'm trying my hardest either way. But I don't think society necessarily promotes that as much anymore. It's sort of like it's somebody's fault. I'm going to talk to somebody. Somebody's going to – this is going to change. Which I think is sad for you guys because down the road when things do get really, really hard, you're like, well, now what? Like, wait, who's going to make it better? There's nobody there. Um, so I was just thinking about this again. We're going back to he said. She said, welcome, everyone, to Morph Mom Moments. Put the phone number out. There. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. 212-631-7553. I had to find it on the wall. Okay, I was exposed to a lot in that dirty garage <laughs> saving my kids from doing it. Lost a few brain cells, I think. Um, we used to have this principal in the lower school where my kids went, and she would say, don't interview for pain. Don't – and I'll, this will stick with me for the rest of my life. When your kids get in the car – for example, so you go to pick up your younger kids, and 17 kids get into the car in front of you, and your kid gets into your car. And you're sitting there going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How do I make this better? What do I do? Oh, God, what do I do? And she would say, don't interview for pain. The first thing out of your mouth should not be, are you okay that all 17 kids just (laughs) left in that car? And you're here with me, but we'll go do something together, you and me. Um, Again, with a he said, she said perspective on this. How do you guys feel about this, dealing with it? Um, And how far do you go with your boys? How how much do you ask? And do you interview for pain? Hmm. Uh, that's a great – see, this is a very interesting conversation my wife and I have. So my youngest son is a quiet kid, very introspective, extraordinarily quiet. Her concern, and probably justifiably so, is that he's not out. He doesn't meet enough of the, his fellow classmates. My thing has always been he, he's fine. He's, ha- he's doing what he wants to do. And I under- – listen, I understand there's some happy medium and maybe I should push him more to do those things. But – if, if he seems to be enjoying himself, if he's flourishing in an environment and if he's not out with his friends as much as maybe we would like or maybe we thought we were doing in our childhood, you know, that's, again, an, an interesting – you become impaled upon the horns of a dilemma that, that I don't think there's a real answer to. Yeah, I agree. It's a happiness barometer. You, you, if, if they're happy and content and thriving in whatever they're doing – um, and each 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 of each of my, my sons, I, I think, were had varying degrees of social energy, and and at the end of the day, they found all found their niche in, in with a group of people and uh, and a level of 
contentment in what they were doing. And uh, so it's it's us as parents being you know attuned to how the kids are feeling and just making sure that we perceive there to be pain or a problem that you deal with it head on. And. Do you think in, in society, and, and by the way, we're on Facebook Live, if anyone wants to go on and see us, because we're really quite a good-looking group in here tonight, <laughs> I'd like to say. And you can cheers us while we're here, too. Everyone's here, cheers. Here we go. Here we go. Anything goes at more fun moments. Fine, Red Ale. Um, again, going back to this, don't interview for pain. So it, it comes in to question a lot with my husband and I as well. So I grew up with four girls, and we, you know, my first thing, I don't mean to interview for pain, but I do. I'm like, are you okay? You're not talking enough. Say something. And he's sort of... Like, don't push them. Don't put, like, just, they'll, they'll say stuff when they're ready to say it. So how do you guys feel about that? And now this applies to Guy and I, not the lenses as much, but a girl versus boy. Like, what's your reaction yeah. to that? And well, how do you I, deal I, with it? I don't, in my house, and I'm sure my daughter's not happy if she's listening, <laughs> I don't see gender in my, I treat my kids exactly the same, which I, I don't know, if, again, I don't know if that's good. Or, it's just sort of the way I'm wired. But I think you almost make it worse. If the situation is bad, if you were to ask, are you okay, that just makes it worse. Um, when they want to talk to you and you know, they'll find you. Mm-hmm. And, and it, sometimes it takes longer than you want it to take, but they do find you. So to ask questions that are leading down the path that you just discussed, it just it makes what potentially is a benign situation right. turns it into a bad situation. Right. So again, how do you know? Like, how do you know when you don't? You're going well, I'm not going to. Inter- you don't know. I right. mean, that isn't that the beauty of the whole thing? There, there are no. I don't. There are no textbooks. There's no answers. I think one of the things I say is the only time we get ourselves in trouble in life, in my opinion, is when we fight against our instincts. When we do mm-hmm. things we know intuitively are the wrong things to do. If you try, I think we're all born with great instincts. We get ourselves in trouble when we don't listen to them. So the answer is you don't know, but you just got to sort of trust your gut on a lot of this, on all of this stuff. It, and it's so scary now because every you know, like, should I have picked up a sign? Should I have done something? So Joe, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So those of you joining us, Joe is a graduate of college and the eldest of three boys. And how did you ever feel? Like, were you open with things that were going on, or I don't know? First of all, how do you perceive yourself versus others as far as being open with your family or your parents about what you did? And if you weren't, how did you feel when they sort of did question you? Or they did, did you understand it was out of concern or was it just too much to handle when they were coming at you with these questions? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I think it, it obviously depends on, you know, the, the variety of, of what exactly is going on. Um, so, again, I think there, there's no cut and dry answer. But uh, personally, I'd say that I was fairly quiet in my youth in terms of, like, wanting to talk about things and things like that. Um, the high school experience, uh, we were all fortunate to go to a pretty great high school. And in terms of mentorship and uh, personability and things like that, that helped a lot in going through that high school experience and being able to talk to things, so or talk about things, I should say. So um, in, in that regard, I think it's kind of something you develop with. Um, but as someone younger, um, when I was listening to everybody kind of talk about, you know, the way that I deal with this is, um, it's a really important point. I think digging at a question in leading is blatantly obvious to anybody who's young. No doubt about it. If you're going to lead to try to get an answer, it's 100% obvious. That said, <laughs> that, that said, it's absolutely critical that you leave the door open, if that makes sense. So, you know, much like Guy was saying, like he's saying, okay, we're going to let this go. They're ready to talk. When they're going to talk, they're going to let us know. But it's important that you let them know, I want to talk to you, or I want to hear what you have to say. 
you know, so whether that's in the immediate moment or if that's in general in your, your lifestyle as a family, that needs to be something that's, that's given because had I not had that, I'd be a, a shell case. I'd be in, in the middle of myself and not talking about anything, you know? And so it's, it's really critical to know that you can rely on people in that way, especially your family. I agree with that a hundred percent. I, and I should have said that I'm a big, I'm, I'm, I think conversation is extraordinarily important to me. I'm, I, I, one word answers make me nuts and I'm, I, so I'm going interrupt, but how about no. one letter answers? Like, not even okay, but just K. Yeah, that doesn't. <laughs> what is that? It does not fly at no. all. And it makes them crazy, but you're looking to elicit conversation, meaningful conversation. You know, I think we get lazy as parents. How was school? Fine. How was it? Fine. And you figure you did your job as a mom or dad. It's really, it's not your job. To Joe's point, they have to know that when they are ready, whenever that might be, you know, they have the ability to come knock on your door, or come find you at wherever you are, and, and to talk about things that are important to them. Yeah, I, to, to your point earlier about instincts, I, I think it's so important. And I think, honestly, we, I know I developed my own internal compass that was unique to each of my kids. And I think one of the things as parents, your point about not being lazy is you have to continue to refine that inner compass, understanding who they are and how they are going through life and not necessarily that you have to be engaged in conversation every moment of the day with them but really understanding how they're interacting with others how they're interacting in the family setting what they're saying what they're not saying what they're not talking about and, and but understanding it in the context of their own personality and their strengths and weaknesses and responding to it that way back to your instinct point and quickly so I think this is important sometimes your kids maybe don't engage with you as much as you would like. Yet you'll be out at a dinner, you'll be out at a party, and somebody will come up to you and say, oh, my God, your daughter is amazing, your sons are fantastic. That might be enough, and I'll give you, I'll give you a great example. Uh, we, were visiting a universe, we were visiting Georgetown University last year, uh, walked on the campus. The first person we saw on campus was Joe's younger brother, Tommy Lenz, and – he could not have been more of a gentleman. I mean, we spent 15, 20 minutes with him, and it was fantastic. And listen, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not privy to what goes on in the Lens house <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, but I do know all three of their boys, and they're remarkable young men. So sometimes, as much as we'd like to see that ourselves at home, sometimes it's enough to know that outside the doors of you know wherever you're living, it, it, they are – Engaged and they are doing what they should be doing. For me, at least, that's enough sometimes. I think that's one of the best prizes you can get as a parent. I think when somebody, like in passing, says one thing like that, you're like, oh, okay, all right, that's what I needed to hear. So, okay, again, welcome to Morph Mom Moments. For those of you joining us, um, we're doing a he said, she said conversation tonight. And this led me to something. Um, I have another question for you guys. So, do you feel that your kids, um, we all have three kids in the room. Do certain kids go to you for certain things and your spouse for others? And if so, is it different with each of the kids? Like, do you find it like maybe your oldest will come to you for something, but your youngest will go to your spouse for that same thing? I think it depends more on the thing. You know, I think there's I think there's things that they'll come to to me for. Um, yeah, I, I think probably. Would you agree, Joe? Like generally, like they they would probably all come to the two of us. Or one of us for about the same things. Generally speaking, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd say for sure. <laughs> I think there's, there's obviously a certain overlap in that, but um, I mean, that also goes back to, you talk about birth order and stuff like that. I, I can mm. say confidently that like, I, I feel closer with my mom and I think it's pretty traditional that uh, you're talking about like uh, the oldest tends to, especially if they're the same gender, right? So with uh, two guys in the household, I know that my dad and I butted heads a lot more than my mom and I did when I was growing up, right? And that's kind of genuinely, that's what happens typically with, with an older child. Same thing if it's in the reverse, if you have the oldest daughter, uh, typically they're closer with the dad, uh, in my experience anyway. And so um, in that regard, growing up, it was definitely more, you know, if, if I felt bad about something or something like that, I was going to my mom first and then mm-hmm. you know, I'd go to my dad afterward. But um, that said, you know, he's got a lot of experiences that are incredibly valuable. And so, if, you know, recognizing that as a kid, it's like, okay, I know exactly where I'm going. So it depends on, it depends on the background. I think the comfort of going as a son, the comfort of going to your mom, I don't care how old you are, it's always there. And, and Joe just talked about that. But my son, Timmy, who's now graduating from high school, been there for six years through seventh grade to senior year, is a bit melancholy. And he's, you know, him and my wife have been spending a lot of time together sort of on the reminiscing front, which is, which is really sweet. I'll say this. Kids have an innate ability to play parents off one another, <laughs> which is fascinating to watch because it happens at a very young age. And they know where my pressure points are and they know what they can get from me and they know what they can get from my wife. Having a unified front is extraordinarily – as parents, I think, is, is, is essential. I'm such a sucker, too. So they'll come to me because I was a bit more wild in my younger days than my husband was. And they kind of know that. So when it comes to that sort of stuff – I'm the one who's like, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. It was just a mistake. It was, it's okay. It's okay. But they know. Come to me first. Then you've got me. I'm on your team. I'm going to back you up. And I can't help it. <laughs> Even though I know what's coming out of my mouth should not be, I, I just, I can't help it. But it's true. They kind of know going into this what they're going to do and what they're not. But do you think birth order has something to do with this as well? So in my, with my kids, it's girl, boy, boy. Guy, you're boy, boy girl, girl boy. boy. And then the lenses are boy, boy, boy. So do you guys feel like that? plays into this as well. I know Elizabeth said it's a thing also, but I'm just curious. The oldest, I'm the oldest of five. And I do think there's a certain burden on the oldest, whether it's self-imposed or societal, I'm not, or done by your parents without even, you know, unconsciously. Yeah, I think there's something about being the oldest child that carries with it certain things. I am a stiff by definition, and I am a classic oldest child. And then as it gets down to pecking order, my brothers and sisters are a lot different. I see it in my son, Timmy. He's old for his age. Mm-hmm. And that's just, to me, that's mm-hmm. a classic birth order thing. Mm-hmm. Having a daughter in the middle of three kids, I think, eliminates the middle child thing because she's the only daughter. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest, in a lot of ways, is a classic youngest. And, you know, all the pitfalls of that, you know, we deal with. But I do think birth order is it's extraordinarily true, and without question. Yep. I agree. I think it's so interesting, too. Now, in my case, I guess, of course, because God forbid I do anything that fits the role. I'm the oldest of four girls, but we were very close. We're all Irish twins. No one believes I'm the oldest. They're like, there's no way you're the oldest <laughs> child. you got to be the youngest. There's no way. And I think my kids read that, and I think that's why they come to me, and they're like, all right, you just got to back us up on this. I'm like, okay, well, you keep controlling. And it's so bad because I do it. I can't help it. Um Okay, so now let's step into this horribly scary world of social media. 
So now we've got these kids, and Joe, you're out of college. So, but even every day, it's changing and changing and changing. And again, all of us here have three kids. We're actually all going to school together next year, come September. Um, how do you feel? Sort of social media affects them, and are you worried about it going into college? And sort of, and again, the he said, she said point of this. Do you feel like your spouse has a different perspective on it than you do? Even so much as how much do you read that they have said, and, and how much do you? investigate what's out there i think i kind of naively think that by the time they're 17 or 18 they kind of know what's going on i think that i think the age that you really have to worry about are the 11 12 13 year olds and again I, I might be naive about that but I, but i think i think they've they've heard enough about it and they they know enough about it that you know once they're graduating i don't think it's going to be a new thing that they discover when they get to college but but what do you think, so when the, they're at college and you see these postings of alcohol, whatever it is, the oh. postings of whatever, um, and now it becomes the world of, well, you're going to go for a job soon, so you've got to get your act together. I don't know. Do you guys think that even uh, at, at this point, does it come up? I, I would say that um, I think as a byproduct of both their academic experience this, through their school where they've been for a number of years, and, and I think the school is outstanding about conveying the risks in the context in which risk presents itself in terms of the use of social media, and then our own obsession <laughs> over it. Um, and my kids, frankly, around this, I think, are themselves, therefore, a little obsessive about it. They recognize that, as we say over and over to them, you put a word out there on the Internet, it's out there forever. It's not disappearing. And I, I do believe, and again, this is my own internal compass with each of my kids and seeing how they use their phones and what they're doing, that um, at the end of the day, they, they know the lines they can't cross. They may make mistakes, but I have a confidence in it. But, and I agree with Elizabeth. I think you know, it's that 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old uh, group where judgment hasn't been formulated yet that presents a real, real challenge. And Joe, you see more of this than, than any of us do probably. And, and do you think it's getting better? Do you think kids in general are getting better about being more careful? Like from just from what you see out in the... It's easier to be more careful. Oh. Uh, in, in that a lot of social media has. So, I mean, for example, if you're talking about um, Facebook, let's say, right? Uh, you have a profile on there. It's got your name on it. The things that you do, right? So anybody you're friends with sees a certain amount of content. Somebody you're not doesn't see as much content if you choose not to show that. And so if it's, a, it's you know, on the, the career basis or, um, you know, anything along those lines of, like, your public image, it's not necessarily something you need to be as worried about anymore. I think initially, I mean, all those, so, yeah, everything comes from a base, and so initially it wasn't protected at all. Um, that being said, I think there's access to even more than there was a year ago, let alone, you know, 10. Hmm. Um, so in that way, it's kind of a back and forth because it also transforms. There's a lot more access to a lot of different, you know, sites and uh, apps and whatever else you want to go with. So um, it, it's a blessing and a curse to be able to live in a progressive age as, as somebody who's a young adult. Now, our guys in this room are all older, but I'm just curious. It's a prosecutor to me. Um, when they were younger and growing up, was there a spouse in each situation that was more curious and maybe investigative and would go a little bit deeper into seeing what was going on as opposed to one who thought, let it go. No, that's their space. They deal with it and they reap the consequence. Like what they do, they're responsible for. So they're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. Well, I know I've, I don't think I've ever probably again, naively, but I don't think I've ever really looked at my kids' phones. It's just, I I don't feel it. Well, maybe I should feel I, I, my hope is 
that we raise them in such a way they'd be smart enough to know what's right and what's wrong. I know my wife Linda is more inclined to sort of take a look from time to time. Correctly so, by the way. The thing that terrifies me, obviously, I get it, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter to a certain extent, Facebook. But the thing that really terrifies me is these group text messages where in the written word there's no context for anything. And a lot of times these things um, could be innocuous and they become – a situation, and that's one of the things that I've been trying to explain to all three of my kids. How, listen, you're on these group texts. You can't control what other people are going to say. You get linked into this thing, and it becomes guilt by association. That is something that it's very foreign to me, but something that scares me a great deal. Right, because mm-hmm. yeah. it could be through no fault of your own, and you just you just that's happen right. to be in the group, but you're and associated, there you are. yeah, and you're done. Yeah. All right, so this leads me to a topic that's not. Very pleasant to talk about, but I'm curious. Again, we all boys going to college, and again, as a former prosecutor, my we dealt with a lot of you know sexual assault cases, and we, it's on the news and it's everywhere, right? So now, you have boys going to school. What's your advice to them walking into this world? And again, we also have daughters, so we see it from both sides. But it's scary. It's really scary walking into this world. And Joe, I'm curious also if this was as prevalent when you were at school and sort of what advice you would have liked to have heard, what you did hear, or what you would recommend giving to those going into school right now, these boys walking in. And again, girls, like I, you know, it's, it's both sides, but it's, it's just you have to, both sides have to be incredibly careful. So how do we, he said, she said, deal with this? Man, um, A, that's a, it's a very big question. Um, and you could literally go for hours on the complexity of, of what higher ed administration looks like right now in that regard. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to work in a couple of different capacities with higher ed administration, uh, not only in the space of you know student involvement, but also a little bit on the disciplinary side. Um, and and frankly, especially being a parent of boys, I would be terrified. Um, <laughs> simply because you know in society, and I think it's, this is going back generations, boys are, are subjected a little bit more to the scrutiny of he said she said in a case where people weren't there, in a, in a, in a witness case and. Um, you know, in that regard, I think, honestly, it, we're talking about legality and, and you know, a lot of these things result in, in substance abuse. We're talking about, you know, somebody went and drank alcohol and then something happened. Nobody was there and you don't know what happened. Um, the biggest thing in any of that is, is if you're going to put yourself in a situation, you want to make sure that you are coherent enough mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, this is exactly what happened. If you have an ability to say, okay, send a text message at a certain point that you know it's like okay I know that I was I was fine at this point that's fine by me I know that I am responsible right now I know I can take care of myself anything you can do to say I know that I am in a place where I can handle myself appropriately and I mean if we're talking about in the context of my parents make my parents proud that's what I want to do I think that's exactly right you know it's if you've raised I'd like to think that we've raised our kids the right way. I'd like to think that my boys have respect for women and to a certain extent, obviously, well, the same extent my daughter has respect for men. It's, it's a two-way street, right? And if that's the case, they should be smart enough to understand. And I've seen my, you know, my boy, both my boys are involved in the arts and they have great relationships with a lot of the girls from the other schools. And I see that they treat them with great deal of respect as I'm sure all the boys in school do. But what I will say that makes me extraordinarily happy is the parents 
of the girls that are involved in the arts at school will make a point of saying how respectful mm. these boys are. So in some ways, I'm, I'm cemented in the fact, or I'm at least somewhat confident in the fact that when he goes off to school, he, know, he should know or hopefully does know right from wrong. Yeah, and, and, and I think, um, back to the point about alcohol, substance abuse, it, the most crucial point for, for them to understand is that as is, 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 is much as you think when you're in a normal state, you can handle yourself. Alcohol is extremely prevalent. It's everywhere. You don't know. When, we, we have all had experiences where we overindulged in it. And some people have a greater capacity to maintain emotional control than others. And mm-hmm. the idea of being extraordinarily wary of being close and involved with anyone when you're in that condition, I, I, I can't overemphasize yeah. it enough. Absolutely. And, and then I guess surrounding yourself always with others who are in a similar like your friends who were, who were consistent with that, who follow yep. that same thing. Yep. So my oldest was a daughter who's a junior in college now. And that was the same thing, but from the other perspective, terrifying. But, you know, again, you want to think I've taught her to always stay in control. Like to, hopefully you've, you've left them with enough sense and values to get yep. through the situation, yep. to evaluate the situation, and hopefully to to figure it out. Yep. But I, I always said to her, like, never be alone. Like, to always mm-hmm. be, you have a designated friend that night. And that Great friend, point. Great and point. if that friend is in trouble, then it's time for you to, Shut it down and take that friend home. So, yep. like, you're yep. always going to be beholden to somebody. That's a great point. So, I don't know. Is that a similar thing you give to a boy? I, I don't know because this is my first experience of having a son go off to college. Well, like, sure. I, I, this, I sort of that buddy work. system Absolutely. sort of thing where you're you're accountable to somebody. Mm-hmm. I think there's more of that today um, than there there was when we were we were in school. Certainly, in terms of you know kids, whether it's boys looking after you know friends male or, or female the other in, in the same way i i think there's just a great deal of sensitivity to e- each other's plight and in, in the risks that everybody's surrounded by mm-hmm. in, in these social settings and what's, and what's interesting is so we've all of us have sent our boys to all boys schools so you know again it's a, i think it's a great way of, a great form of education but the pitfall for a lot of these boys is they don't have the interaction with women that maybe they're obviously going to have in in a few years. So and that's something, you know, you you obviously consider. The flip side of that coin is you see how respectful these boys are. You try to do your best in raising them. Um they're not faced with the same pressures of a co-ed school. So I the, the short answer is I don't know, but you hope you do it. Uh, you hope you've done your job well enough that, and armed them enough that when they get there and when they're left to their own devices, they make the right decisions. Right. Yep. So this is an odd question, I guess. I'm just curious as we're talking about this. So looking back, so you know, it becomes sort of sentimental times. Your, your child's going off to school, and you have a few months left. And like you said, your your son guy and your wife have, have had like a lot more, many more conversations now, and. As you reflect back, is there something you're almost most proud of with what happened in raising that child? And again, something you would have changed when you go back? Oh. Is there that one thing you're like, oh, I think I, I don't know, I could have done it differently? I mean, I have a lot, <laughs> so, I <don't> <laughs> so I, I'm um, going to put it out there. I, I'm I guilty. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I, <laughs> but, I, but one thing I'll that just, really sticks out. I, I just I, I would have enjoyed the ride more. Oh yeah. I. I, less obsessive, um, less law and order, um, and less not got letting myself get emotionally wrapped up 
in how they're you know in their life experience in, in in a way that demonstrated negative feelings. Just enjoy the ride life and be happy. I think enjoying the ride is you, you, yes, a hundred percent. And you know that that whole hover parent thing. You know, we tried to remove ourselves from that. And I can say this. I don't again. I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I've never seen a report card from that school. So, you know, I'm I'm relying upon <laughs> you know. But I don't I, again, I, you know, but if I think you level of trust is important. Um maybe I should have pushed more on certain things than I did. But you you know, you can't you, you, you know, you do the best you can. You say a prayer every night and you hope it all works out. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, Somebody, would you? There's that that. And I worked at Goldman Sachs for a while, and somebody asked Lloyd Blankfein, who's the CEO, Lloyd, if you were to if you were to go back, would you change anything? And a lot of times the answer is, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. That's really not true. And of course, there's a lot of things you would change, but you, you did what was best at the time, and you just hope it sort of carries through over the next however many decades. It's a great point. And, and to sort of build on it, going back to my original point, uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's easy for me to say that. But at the same time, maybe maybe some of the way I, you know, parented um, helped helped influence the outcome. And I'm very proud of all three of my sons. As you should be. Straight path, cro- crooked lines, right? Isn't that what they say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. I agree. I think that's the best thing, like, of all the faults. That's what I was saying. Like, I made a ton of mistakes. But then they're really good kids, so something had to be right yeah. in there. Maybe it was their genetics and their de- like they were they would have done well regardless if I hadn't made lots of screw ups or not. But but it's your genes. Well, yeah, they, they like to see my <laughs> husband probably says his genes. I don't know. There might be a contest to that. You know, but some of the best <laughs> outcomes are born from mistakes. Right. Exactly. So right. yep. you know, you want we're so focused on being perfect parent. What there are, there are being perfect is being imperfect. So. You know, a lot of the things that you mess up or screw up winds up some of the best outcomes that come from it. So would I change things? Absolutely, I would go. But you can't. And, you know, and you just sort of enjoy, you know, you ladies were recently at something called a mom prom. And, you know, you you sort of look back on the last four years and the case of our boys that are there the last six years. And, yeah, of course, they would change things. But then you look back and say, you know what, I wouldn't change a thing. So this, and this mom prom was amazing. So you go with your child, and you, you know, who I thought wouldn't want to be near me at the thought of prom or dance or anything. And I could, we got out there, and you see like what real kids they are. They're act, like it's unbelievable to see them in that light. And and going off soon, like we all here have three mm-hmm. months left. Now for me, it's my second. For Guy, it's his first. And for the lenses, it's their last. I don't <laughs> want to say anything's going to make them very sad. But oh, and we only have two minutes left. But it's a pretty emotional time regardless of where you are in all of this. And I just oh, I can't believe we only have two minutes left. We get so many more things to do. I can't thank you guys enough tonight. Guy Adami, an amazing guest tonight. My Lens co-host, all three of you, thank you so much. Um, I, it's just, it's so comforting, even as a parent, though, to sit here, man, woman, like whoever, fathers, whoever it is, to discuss all of this and talk about our own view upon this, our own faults, our own mistakes, our own... And how we raise these kids, because I think it helps everybody out there to understand, like, it's not perfect, like you just said, well, guys. quickly, I know we're running up against, but as unique as the problems you are having as a parent, you think they are, they're, they're not unique. Great we point. all face the same great, challenges great and problems. Point. Absolutely. 
So once again, I can't thank you guys enough for coming tonight. I hope you'll come back again. Maybe as we do. Beer, as long as we get the beer, <laughs> we come back. This I will tell you. Morph Mom Moments will always have the beer here for you. You're talking to an Irishman. You're always going to have the beer here. So thank you guys all for listening tonight. Um, once again, thank you to all my guests. This um, show will be on my iTunes podcast tomorrow morning, Morph Mom Moments. Just go to iTunes. Pretty easy to get. Um, and if you want to hear more, go to the, the website, morphmom.com. It's on there as well. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Between sleeping with someone And sleeping with someone you love I love you ain't no pick-up line So always stay humble and kind Hold the door, say please, say thank you Don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie I know you got mountains to climb and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA health care facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? 
Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education.